Texas talking oh. What was that that you said Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hello, this is Jacob Hale, a high school freshman in Austin. You might remember me as the little kid who tried to change Confederate Heroes Day this last session. I'd like to apologize to the people at the Tribune for all the people who left this podcast because they didn't want to listen to a naive 14-year-old who doesn't know anything about history. And here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the final week of June. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Nice to hear back from Jacob Hale. It's true. Little He's a cool kid. Little dude was ahead of the curve, right? He was talking about the Confederacy before. That was cool. Has it ever been cool to talk no. about the Confederacy? Big air quotes around that. Right. All right. Uh, Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And the Tribune's great pollster, Jim Henson. The Robert E. Lee of polling. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what does that even mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's free associating. Yes, dangerous. He needed an insult, and that's what came to mind. All right. right. So uh, we learned a lot about the brain space of Texas voters this week. So I'm hoping that uh, largely Henson can start us off and tell us what we learned. Uh, why don't we start with their— well, Ross and I will be back in 50 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Why don't we start by talking about their presidential preferences? What do we know on the GOP side? Sure, on the GOP side— this is what, the fifth or sixth time we've asked that asked that question. Um, but They're this still is the, answering? This is the first time, you know, without another big event like a legislative session or a state election between the question and the actual election. We found Ted Cruz leading the pack among the GOP uh, candidates, as he has every time, uh, with 20, and then Rick Perry behind him at 12. Um, Scott Walker then coming in behind that. So the Scott Walker boomlet of the last poll has dissipated. Yeah, and that's that's pro- this is probably the least surprising result in this poll in that last time we were in the field, just by luck of the draw and timing, it was the best possible moment for Scott Walker. He had just busted a couple of unions and was getting a lot of national media coverage, but hadn't gone into any kind of backlash. Then on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton's still a clear front runner, down a bit from last time, still over 50%. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders was in the news while uh, Hillary, while we were in the field. And, you know, Hillary Clinton is not had not had a great couple of months leading up to that. Um, but I don't think, you know, anybody at, you know, Clinton headquarters is getting on their unencrypted phones and, you know, sending, sending personal panic, emails, <laughs> yeah, sending panic messages to about, anybody, about to foreign governments. Um, you know, the the interesting thing about this poll, I think, as it relates to the election is for the first time in our lives doing this, maybe not Ross's because he's been around much longer Our than lives we doing this. Uh, the, the, the Texas primary may actually decide something or help to decide something. Ordinarily, it's a it's a, a lap around the track, but it doesn't have an impact on the outcome of the nominee. You'll have four primaries that take place before Texas, at least four, but I think it's just four, in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. And it's possible you're going to have a different winner in the Republican primary in each of those. And so you'll get to Texas on March 1st as part of the SEC primary, which is the southern states and Texas together. And this is a big prize all of a sudden. Well, and uh, Jim pointed out the other day that you could, you know, if you're a Ted Cruz or a Rick Perry and you don't perform well in those first out-of-state primaries, right. there's but no reason necessarily to jump out because Texas there's might no reason. They might no throw, reason. If, they if, might throw a ring into the water. If right. you're the favorite son, winner of Texas, then you are suddenly a mini kingmaker. Yeah, my guess is it's right. it's not only not do you not have a reason, it's part of Ted Cruz's game plan. Right. So if you're Rick Perry looking at these numbers in your home state, what do you think? 
I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I mean, I think you also have... you think, God damn it, why couldn't David Dewhurst have won that Senate race? Yeah, maybe I should have been a little easier Campaigned on that whole redistricting harder. thing. <laughs> yeah, right. um, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of yeah different points of inflection. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Rick Perry. It's it's not great news, but it's actually better than he's been. I mean, well, he, you're not behind Trump, and well, as you are in some other states. Well, and even right? in his home state, he was. You know, he's been in single figures in a couple of these polls, right? And at least he's back in double figures. So I think, right. I think you have to look at this, and you know, I mean, I the, the the Perry campaign sent out an email to its list saying. We're second in Texas. We're number two. <laughs> we try harder. So. You know, so we're sitting here on whatever day it is, Wednesday. 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 So Bobby Jindal announced today. Who? Well, that's a problem for him. Um, Bobby Jindal announced today. Chris Christie is announcing next week. That will make 14 candidates. John Kasich and Scott Walker get in. That'll make 16 candidates. I mean, it's getting to the point now where it's easier to name the people not running. And I don't think that helps anybody from Texas um, because you've got to differentiate yourself. And the more people you have to steer around or wire around, the harder it is for you. I realize the fault line is around governors versus senators or inside versus outside. Perry's obviously going to leverage that argument to the degree that he can. But it's going to be hard for these guys. It but really it, is with 16 people. God. You just got to wait for it. You know, do you do? I, I think this is one of those games where Hang there on. are so many people into the in this thing. You don't have to win right now. You have to not lose right now. You have to wait. You know, that one gets knocked off. That one gets knocked off. That one gets knocked off. As long as you're not at the back of the pack, you're going to be fine. So for that's a while. like Santorum in the last election. Yeah. Santorum hung around long enough right. that by right. the end he was one of the last ones standing. Just be in it by when being one of the last. Be in it standing. when there's four to six candidates, yeah. and that's you know that's where your opportunity is. And no accidents. Right. Right. Or incidents. Either <laughs> one. You know, but I, I actually think that that's a, a problem more for Perry than it is for anybody else, sure. and that the sure. standard Perry is being held to is an unfair standard. Well, it's a standard others. he set himself. Right, but it's an unfair standard in that. That isolated from everything else doesn't necessarily disqualify Perry, but everyone's kind of looking to yeah, sure, right, looking to it, right. Um, the rest of these guys have substantive issues that they're dealing with that are pretty significant, that are challenges and obstacles as great as Perry's tongue tripping him up. You know, I mean, Bobby Jindal, you say Bobby Jindal, who? Bobby Jindal is at one percent in the national polls. Bobby Jindal is not going to be president. Donald Trump is not going to be president. You know, these guys, if they're in this race to win, they're going to be sadly mistaken well, at, or at sorry. At least 15 of these guys are not going to but, be but I think there is, But there's a greater likelihood that Marco <laughs> Rubio or Rand every Paul, day. Right. <laughs> right, but there's a greater likelihood that Marco Rubio or Rand Paul is president than Donald Trump. There, there is something like some tears right now. Yeah. Right, TT levels. And it's not only the 10. There will be many more tears. It's not only the 10 in a debate, but it's it's tears within the tears, right? It's, you know, the generally accepted wisdom is that the top four are Walker, Rubio, Bush and and Kasich, I think, right? Is that right? Well, I don't know about Kasich, but I, you know, it's so early. I mean, at this point, last time, Perry wasn't even in yet. This this changes six times. Perry between, got in in August, right? This yeah. changes six times between now and January. Uh, you know, there's no yeah. way to tell. All you can tell is whether somebody has enough. Um, but you have to hang around. Long, you have to hang around as plausible long enough right. to get to but, January. But right. going back to where we started on this, I mean. There being 14 or 16 guys and women or women in this, you know, actually does help the Texas guys a little bit, I think, because you do know that if you're Rick Perry and you're Ted Cruz, and especially if you're Ted Cruz, and you have, I think Ted Cruz can have a reasonable amount of faith that unless he has some kind of meltdown or something really happens, this 20% yeah. he's at right now is pretty, a pretty good baseline for him in terms of, you know, you figure, you know, the, the Tea Party makes up. 
prior to the election, somewhere along the lines of at least 30 percent of the Republican electorate. So in the Republican primary electorate, even even in a presidential year, they're going to be more than that. Cruz is going to get a good chunk of Who's those. Who's competing and he can count on for it. the Tea Party vote with Cruz? In Texas? No, just I'm saying within that massive field of candidates. Well, so, so mean, in Texas and well, not in see, Texas. See, this is where I think this race is getting misanalyzed right now. I, th- I don't think most of the voters have really tuned into. Let's see. If I vote for this one, I get this. If I vote for that one, I get that. Well, I don't Donald think the Trump difference is at second place in New Hampshire. They're not paying attention. But I don't think the differentiation no between the candidates is anything like fine yet. I think people are waiting to see who these guys are. Right, you know, which, who, you well, know that. Yeah, though. but but I don't know what the voters are going to do. And when the voters see these guys and get a look at them and say, you know, that seemed like a really nice guy, but I don't like his position on in-state tuition for illegal immigrants or all of those kinds of things that we find out when the debates start in August and run through September and October are going to call this herd. And until then, it's just guesswork. I guess I'm really not asking what the voters think because I don't care. <laughs> I'm asking what you think. I'm asking who do you think the, the competition for Cruz is? Um, you know, I think he's I think he's competing in part with the social conservatives. So he's competing Santorum. a little bit with Santorum and Huckabee. He's also competing a bit with Carson. Um, I think he competes he's probably with, competing with Rand Paul. Competes he's, with Walker. He competes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the I mean, different these things blur, right? Yeah, it's too yeah. blurred right now. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of overlapping Venn diagrams of where you right. know and, it, ha- and it land, and it hasn't quite settled yet, and that's what they're all you know trying. And the to wedges out. are all and the wedges are all changing. I mean, South Carolina is a great example of the wedge issues where everybody had a clear idea where they stood two weeks ago completely changing and sort of shuffling Shit, the deck a week again. ago a week well, ago well, but did. but the the deck's going to get shuffled several times like that between now and then all right well henson mentioned overlapping venn diagrams there are a lot of other areas in this poll where we're, we see some of that let's talk about some of the uh, hotter issues on this list what about gay marriage where are texans right now on gay marriage everywhere all over the well, place well you know interestingly yeah. enough i mean as somebody a former grad student now a professor elsewhere in the country was pointing out on Twitter today, you know, this is the first poll, first at least public nonpartisan poll where we've seen a plurality of support in Texas for gay marriage. It's a pretty narrow plurality. As I was telling Ross, I think that... Is it 44 to 41? Or yeah, something? that's yeah. right. Um, and I think that, you know, I will consider that a little more stable when we see the next poll. And, you know, given... There's going to be a bunch of events going on. Obviously, we're all Supreme waiting on court the court. Supreme Court ruling probably next week um, you know, then, or this th- week. Then the reaction and counter-reaction to that. Right. You know, so we'll ask this for sure again in October and see where we are then. I'd want to see this a couple times in, the row, in a row before it begins to even look like a trend. But if you go back to the way that we've asked this question and we'd asked this question giving people the option of civil unions for a long time while mm-hmm. that was part of the debate, that part of the debate is kind of gone now. So people were still settling into where especially Republicans are. And I think Republicans are in Texas are 10 or 12 points behind Republicans the rest of the, in the rest of the country on gay marriage. But they're still, as a majority, opposed. You know, there was a, a thing that Darren Shaw, your co-director of the poll, pointed out. Uh, two big areas of difference here. There's a big gender gap in this. And there's also a huge, you know, this... That was a little bit less expected, at least to me. And the one that was expected and showed up was the age gap. If you're in the 18 to 29 age group, you're 66 to 20 in favor of gay marriage. If you're 65 or older, you're 27 to 53 against gay marriage. There's a a giant gap there. And in between men and women, there's a 12 to 14 point gap 
uh, women are much more supportive of it than men are. And part of that has to do with, I mean, you know, that kind of, again, the overlapping Venn diagrams right. here. You're seeing the movement in the, among those young voters and then the next cohort up and, and among women. Now, we expect women writ large to be probably a bit more liberal and, and tolerant on this issue. We're seeing that movement continue. How come? How come? Why? Why are women more likely to be supporters of gay marriage? Well, I mean, I think it's it's part of their larger, um, you know, the larger political profile they have. They tend to be most liberal, more liberal on social on most social issues. I think on the question of young you know. versus old, that feels like less of a surprise to me because young people know gay people, or openly gay people, and older people probably don't. And I think that personal experience does probably weigh in a little bit. Well, there's something of a gender gap if you do party, too. I mean, you know, women yeah. tend more to be Democratic and men tend more to be Republican. And, you know, some of that matches here, but it widens a little bit on this particular issue. I, I, st I still wonder about what the reaction of the legislature is going to be to this if the court, as is expected to happen, but we certainly see no guarantees that the court will do this, if they do legalize gay marriage. Well, they had an opportunity during the session to pass, you know, their version of a trigger bill on Which this. They if the court didn't rules that, then do, do this, yeah. and, and, they, and they didn't do it. But, of course, I don't understand the law. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> But I don't understand what kind of a trigger they could – the supremacy clause would theoretically right. I think the only, invalidate whatever the legislature did. The only <laughs> option is if the Supreme Court ruling ends up having some kind of loophole like Obamacare did around you – know, I mean, it, that is what basically left this all tangled up and gave states the windows they needed to, you know. Maybe the analogy is to abortion. Maybe they can ban gay marriage after 20 weeks. You know, they could figure out a way to make it so that even though it's legal, it's ultimately irrelevant. Well, and I think there is some. <laughs> Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Well, and I think there is some <laughs> expectation that federalism is going to play into what the court decides. I mean, and that's often been the case. You know, that the rulings, you know, subtle subtle gradations about the author or subtle judgments about the authority between national government and the states have been the way that this state. This court has wriggled through some of these issues. And I think in terms of Ross's point about age and and some of the other some of the and men really. Right. You know, to look at the other side, this is why there's gonna be a lag in the legislature. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the legislature is going the Republican majority will be looking at Republican primaries. On and the other hand, if I'm a, one if I'm, Republican member who is openly in support of gay marriage. One and a half. If I'm if I'm a Republican, the, the though, and I'm not, looking, the half doesn't count unless he's a whole. If I'm a young to middle-aged Republican office holder, and I'm looking at these numbers, though, I'm looking at you know the this is changing maybe not as quickly as elsewhere, but yeah, it but is look changing at these here. Young people, and the yeah. court could give me an out here. The right. court could you know well you know they're twisting my arm. This I'm just going to like the school finance lawsuit. Just get me out of here. Guntothehead.com. Right. Right. Well, right. like a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, how about pot? Texans <laughs> like pot. No, thank you. It's a little early in the day. <laughs> It's, it's, it's happy hour somewhere. It's almost four. Happy hour somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. You go. You go on the pot, Ross. Yes, Everybody Ross. likes pot. You know, we we asked this we asked this decrim question. Doesn't? We, we didn't say. Can we make that the thing at the end of the podcast. We didn't. Everybody <laughs> likes pot. Um, we we asked this time. We didn't say what about decriminalizing marijuana. We didn't right. say what about legalizing marijuana. We said the penalty now is this, and it's pretty strict, and you could go to jail. What if the penalty was basically a traffic ticket and a two hundred and fifty dollar fine? And everybody said, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Oh, isn't Rick Perry for decriminalizing? Oh, I mean, sure. God, yeah, but yes. we didn't we didn't use any of the buzzwords here. Yeah, we, we didn't said, use decriminalize. We just honestly, described as buzzwords go. Decriminalize is a pretty shitty buzzword. Well, yeah, yeah. but well, I mean, it would have changed, you know. But it's a cue. It would have it yeah. would have driven the it Peace. would have driven support right. down. Peace. Everybody, down. this is you know the Oscar Mayer song: "Fat kids, skinny kids, kids that climb on rocks." Everybody likes. Pot. Did the Oscar Mayer song yeah. mention <laughs> fat kids? That yeah. seems so mean. It did. Fat kids, skinny kids. That's so mean. You know. 
was before. It's hardwired it into me easy. brain. Love them some baloney, man. That's right. Still got a whistle somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, but, but so, so, so the uh, can. So the can, I wonder about this. Whether well, cannabis oil is a nose under the tent. If this is gateway legislation, basically, right? So that we pass cannabis oil this session, and then that ultimately we holds the door open. They won't even open. call it cannabis oil. Yeah, it's cannabinoid. Cannabinoid. Right. They're trying I to confuse us. We know what it is. We know what it is. Look, I think the fact that David Simpson's legalized pot bill got a committee hearing was the best indicator. That this is actually moving. Oh, all in that the Republicans direction. were at the Astros game. Come on, I mean yeah, the numbers. I, mean, they, I don't know. I, that it was I, a real I got a hearing. I think this is moving. I, you know the. So you think if I said to you legal pot or legal gay marriage, which are we going to have first? Probably legal gay marriage. I guess well, legal, legal gay marriage. Probably legal gay marriage. Like in right. a day. Yeah. But yeah. if right. it were yeah. up to the legislature, would we have legal pot or legal gay marriage first? We'd have legal pot first. You think so? Yep. Absolutely. Well, there, you know, there's been, you know, Ross and I were talking about that. There's been interesting movement on this issue on both left and right. right. And I think part of what's moving this is actually, I don't think it's exactly news that most Democrats are going to be for decriminalization. Um, no offense intended. 79 percent. <laughs> right. You know, but there has been an interesting development in the last several years on the right about sort of rethinking. Yeah, criminal justice in general. You know, criminal justice reform, you know, over, the rhetoric of over-criminalization. That's one of the rare bipartisan issues, even in a state right. like Texas, right? The left and the yeah. right well, are kind of together. Well, that's really been a transition in the last reform. several years. I mean, it's been yeah. the most interesting bipartisan transition. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, the way we did, the, you know, this is really the sweet spot. I mean, what this tells you is that Texas is not going to look like Colorado. We're not going to get let it roll legislation. But decriminalization right. that makes it seem like we'll, Although I do, I do we'll think ed- edible, edible Wednesdays in the legislature would be pretty great. Actually. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Give me that. All right, what about Ma- open- Maybe uh, Charlie Guerin can drag a pot brownie in front of Jonathan Stickland or something next time. He might have better luck with David Simpson. He might. Uh, what about open carry and campus carry? Two obviously very controversial issues in the legislative session. How to and much more a, of a split sorry. in the poll than sorry. I thought we were. I'm still thinking have. about being dosed by Charlie Garen. I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking about Wednesday. Most uh, Ross is still thinking so, about after work. Yeah. I, I, I was really surprised about the split. I, I would have figured that the state was more in league with the legislature on this. What was the split? On open, car- on open carry? Well, open well, carry the, only the, gets the 52%. The Republicans yeah. are with the legislature. The Democrats yeah. don't count on this one. This is a Republican legislature. Yeah. The cues in this are so strong on the Republican side. Right. It's a completely safe vote. Well, and I, and I think this is also, I mean, if you think back to what we asked in February, in February, again, we gave people, you know, the our sense of the February poll is, also, is always, let's feel out the, the attitudes in a broad spectrum. So on that, we, we gave people an option of everything from there should be no legal guns to, you know, unlicensed open carry with a couple of meeting with licensed carry and then just keeping it as it is, basically licensed concealed carry, what we have right now. That was actually the modal position among Republicans. The Republican position at the, going into this was we're a pro-gun state, we're comfortable with guns, but we're also pretty comfortable with where it is. What I think this showed us is that yeah. – much like the gay marriage thing with civil unions, once you take out the middle ground and give the mo- make the moderate Republicans choose, they choose to the right rather than to the left. Right. And that's what we're seeing in this number. Do they choose to the right because they believe it or they choose to the right because that's the politically Seven, well, because advantageous you, given, position to take? Well, given two choices, the Both. voters said, you know, 75% of Republicans said I'm for open carry. Um, yeah. Democrats, 22%. Well, I'm not surprised. You know, the open carry question is less interesting to me than campus carry because, right. goodness, we're only one of six states without no, I, it. But, no, but I think that's a good question, Evan, and that I think it is a little bit of, you know, basically people follow their party, their party cues. They say, I'm a Republican. They don't say either I'm a Republican or I'm in favor of guns. They're 
I'm pretty in favor of guns. I'm pretty a Republican. I guess on this, really, if I have to go one way or the other, I go in the Republican direction. And this is a very high visibility partisan issue by the time the legislature was done with so it. So if you go to campus carry and you say, you know, some campus carry, which was basically let the universities pick some places or complete campus carry, 75% of Republicans were on the side of some kind of campus carry, right. only 24% of Democrats. So again, it's a clear, you get a pretty clear answer. And when the legislature moderated the, you know, or watered down, whatever you want to call it, the campus carry bill and said the universities ought to be able to Got say, not this yeah. building or not that building, you know, clearly what the legislature did is pretty much in line with Republican yeah, I mean, voters in the poll. Yeah, and to the point I was making earlier about, you know, Republican voters being comfortable being in the center right, if you look at the Republican numbers on campus carry, about a third of Republicans picked the option that came out of the legislature. The, you know, we want it out there, but we're willing to let the universities moderate it. And that shows me that there is, you know, there's overlap and people can be nudged in really only in one direction. But if you leave Republicans alone about guns, there's a big chunk of moderate Republicans who I think say, yeah, you know, it's not as if we're, we don't have any guns in Texas right now that we have to really push this. And we've seen that in an item that we've asked several times where we ask people, do you want to make gun laws less strict, more strict, leave them right. as they are? The default has always been among a big chunk of Republicans, we're fine the way we but are. But at the end of the day, they do have to pick. These bills do come up, they are asked to vote, and what they end up doing is voting. This is a case where the coalitions you know, changed by issue. This is one on which the Tea Party and the traditional Republicans are oh. largely in line. Yeah, right? they have to. Well, they have to pick when right. the right wing of the party pushes it on the agenda and won't. Because if you vote, because that's well, a that's a scorecard issue. Well, in and the smallest the, sense, not any even, specific. Even the non-Tea Party right? Republicans are for this, though. Sixty-nine right. percent yeah. of them. Right. So. All right. Well, I want to talk about one more element of the poll before we move on, and I would like to give our listeners a little snack. This hasn't come out yet. It will be breaking news on the Tribcast, but tomorrow morning we'll have a poll on Texas voters' opinions on Jade Helm. Well, I mean, you really it's... have to say it that way. <laughs> yes. Here, let's, let's hear that again. <laughs> Jade Helm. Apparently it's Halloween. It's the Halloween trip. <laughs> so we'll, we'll resurface that and repurpose that in October. <laughs> right. I, I, didn't, I didn't know Greg Abbott was a Scooby. Um, <laughs> uh, More on that in a minute. Okay, so we asked people, and, it, and it, was, it was not so much directly about Jade Helm, but we asked people a couple of couple of questions. We asked them first, did they approve of, uh, of Governor Abbott instructing the state guard to conduct some oversight of military maneuvers in Texas? You know, we tried to not, I, th I think we may have put Jade Helm in parentheses. We tried to not push it too hard. And what we got, two interesting things. We didn't use that, the term Jade Helm. I looked at we the didn't, We took, we took it out. Okay, Jade so 39% so supported and 29% opposed. So Plurality supported. Now, a third of people gave us the, what? I don't know, I don't care, or what the hell are you talking about? What's Jade Helm? Which is fair enough. What is what military maneuvers? Um, but there was lots of partisan structure in here and some interesting things. So Democrats, not surprisingly, were supported only at a rate of about 18%. Republicans at 57%. But Tea Party identifying Republicans bing, 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 bing. <laughs> identif you know, supported it to 70, at 73%. Only 9% opposed, and interestingly, only 18% went to don't know. So they supported a lot, and they noticed. And that was pretty interesting. We don't want to give away the whole store, but we also then asked um, if 
we asked people if they thought that the federal government would order the U.S. military to engage in which of the following activities, impose martial law, confiscate firearms, arrest political protesters, and violate citizens' property rights. This is the U.S. We, military. We're not talking about yes. violate your property rights by building a highway or something. Right. So right. we don't want to give away the specifics, but let's just say people are a little more suspicious of the federal government than one might think. Come back tomorrow for you're more. Either, you're, either, <laughs> you're either half right or half wrong on this answer. Right, exactly. All right, well, um, thank you, gentlemen, for all that poll intel. Let's uh, talk about some other intel. That's what's included in Greg Abbott's emails. Uh, Jay Root broke a story today looking, and I think there are a couple more stories to come this evening. Two published as we sit here. And, and yep, looking at all of the down. details of Greg Abbott's personal emails for the six months of the legislative session, and they are, quite frankly, illuminating. Uh, Evan, you want to tell us what you learned? Well, I learned a couple things. I learned that, first of all, Greg Abbott is fully engaged in discussions about policy and politics and press coverage and all that with his staff. I mean, super engaged, he's, like he, down to the minutia. He's, he's playing. On email in the up. middle of the night. He's like an Evan right. Smith. <laughs> it's you like really 2 not a guy, and I mean him. You really <laughs> had to hurt him. Um, so he's involved in that stuff. He's a little bit more <laughs> concerned about his image and the way that the press regards the decisions that his administration a makes a little bit than what one might have imagined. I mean, one of the things you could say <laughs> about Rick Perry is um, uh, he, he really didn't give a crap about what we thought. He just sort of did what he wanted. And he didn't really get involved in the detail level of a lot of stuff he delegated, or at least that was what our experience, I think, uniformly was. Well, it was at here. least the outside image of yeah. it. Sure. Right. Um, Abbott seems to be very much not Perry. In that respect, he seems much more uh, kind of into it, and not only into it in a sort of selfless and you know civic spirited way, selfless more in a looking out for Greg Abbott kind of way. If you both ways, I, yeah, I yeah. thought it was interesting how not only, but yeah how engaged both. he was. I mean, he seems to you know again these are things that are in emails that they knew could be made public, but he seems to um, give a shit in a huge way. Uh, again, both about sort of the outcomes of these policies and also how it reflects on him. But how the, you know. how they how they play in the press, right? Yes, sequencing of announcements, that kind of thing. Right, and sort of second guessing. Uh, Dave yeah. Carney, the political consultant who worked for Governor Perry and then worked for Governor Abbott, uh, resurfaces as a, a a member of the of the repertory company, not a special guest star, but a he's cast in the kitchen. But he's in the cabinet. Member. He's a cast member. Yeah, there's right. a fascinating exchange where Greg Abbott is saying he wants to get a wheelchair ramp put on the south steps. You know, he thinks it's too hard for the public to get in. And Carney basically advises him not to do that because he thinks it'll look self-serving, which is really... Uh, and Abbott comes back and says, no, I think the average... I know I can always get I can in. always the, get in The here. average person is the one who needs help. And in that respect, I think Abbott looks to be quite, you know, mm-hmm. unselfish, yep. uh, c- civic-minded. Look, it's, it's interesting to see, and as you point out, they may well have known that these were emails that were subject to... FOIA rules. Let's let's back up and say that one of the interesting aspects of the story is that uh, under the Rick Perry administration, emails were destroyed after seven days. This was somewhat controversial, at least back in the 2010 campaign. Abbott not, keeps them four it, times as long. Abbott right. keeps them 30 days. Now, as Jay points out, still the incinerators in, in, remain in busy. Other, in other states, the idea that you know three months of emails uh, and then they're destroyed—that's that, controversial. So by that standard, we're really not uh, saving very uh, many emails, and we're not terribly transparent. But 30 days is better than seven. And, you know, we we FOIA'd this stuff, which is anybody's able to do that, and that's the basis for this 
big story and then a second story about Abbott effectively in these emails predicting the death of ethics reform. Yes, this is this is fascinating. I want to date back to some of our previous Tribcast on ethics reform where I said I thought Abbott would call a special session on ethics and everybody said, no, no, he won't do that. And in the end, you all were right and I was wrong. He did not call a special session on ethics. However... Now she's about to tell us. But however, he did send a lot of emails. She was in fact right <laughs> at the beginning. In February, he's writing all these emails saying he is going that ethics reform is going to implode and he's going to have to call one, maybe two special sessions to deal with ethics. So clearly he got talked out of it. That said, I wasn't wrong. Jay and I already negotiated on this point earlier today. <laughs> but I do, do think... Do you feel better now? <laughs> <laughs> I feel better that at least he was considering it. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I also think it seemed from these emails like he was having kind of a good time. I mean, he, he seems to be, although he's staying up until the middle of the night, it's, he seems to be like really at the helm and kind you of enjoying it. You don't stay up in the middle of the, 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 until the middle of the night fooling around with <laughs> yeah. this stuff unless you're really interested in it. I think, you know, I, I think he is something of a policy wonk. And, and, you know, he had a rep as AG of being, you know, up to speed and involved in, you know, a lot of cases that previous AGs hadn't, you know, sort of been considered below their pay grade. You know, I think he's an engaged I, I'm, Public official. I'll, I'm prepared to say after whatever number of months he's been in office, I still don't know who the hell this guy is. You know, I, I he came in, I had a different expectation coming out of the Smash Mouth campaign. You have to discount a lot of that stuff. He surprised me initially by being more temperate, if not more moderate, than he appeared to be coming out of the campaign. But I thought the vetoes were actually a little surprising. You know, 42 vetoes, more than George W. Bush ever in any session, more than Ann Richards in any session, more than four of Rick Perry's sessions. I think more than George Bush in total. No, it wasn't more than in total, but it was more than any one year. And in a number of cases that we were told, well, these are niggling bills. They're not that important. They're local calendar stuff. A number of legislators complaining that I, we worked with the governor's staff on this bill. We were given absolutely no indication there was a problem. Then they came around and vetoed it. Then the appointment of this woman uh, as the head of the uh, State Board of Education, who is a right. homeschool advocate, um, someone who at least on paper appears to be exactly the opposite of the person you'd put in charge of a, of a board responsible for regulating the curriculum of, of public schools. Um, there's a disconnect always between Abbott, the substantive policy guy, and Abbott, the politician. The political Abbott has a much harder and sharper edge well, I think you look than at, the policy yeah. Abbott. I'm still seven months in trying to figure out who this guy is. I am trying to figure out who this guy is, and I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I think you look at you look at the emails now. You look at that aspect of it, the fact that, you know, that the email sort of reveals somebody who's very politically engaged, perhaps, or, you know, arguably, I haven't looked at all, astute. You look at how he handled the session, and then you look at where his numbers were in the most recent poll. He's in very good position. I mean, oh, he, yeah, he totally. came out of the session, totally. you know, very yeah, well. Unscathed. Yeah. And and you know with his with his public support strong and strong relative to other people. I mean, Dan Patrick's numbers were flat across the session. Greg Abbott is continuing to deepen his, you know to, to strengthen his base. And I think in a lot of ways, releasing the emails for the inside game is only going to help, right? Well, he had to, but I don't disagree with you. I mean, and, and what yeah. I can definitely say about the emails on the basis of the stuff of Jay's that I've read is there's nothing in there that's a little flaming bag of poo. Right, and if you think right. there's nothing in there that's going to be a problem for him, and if you look at the right. picture of you know he's now using the veto in a politically shrewd, if hard-edged way, right. you know it, the, the poll numbers on the Jade Helm thing is is rough. I, mean, I don't I mean, know. I'll say I was kind of wrong that you know you that's not that going to hurt you him. You thought the state might not be with. Him. I, 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 are there? I, I'm not saying I have an answer to this question. I'm not asking it, looking for a particular answer. Are the vetoes shrewd? I don't know. 
I think it's going to take a little bit of time to figure that out. I just don't know whether the vetoes were You know, the, the thing about Perry's vetoes, when he did his first set, it was a large number. I think it's still the 80, record. Uh, odd 82, 80, 83. 82 or 83, and it depends on whether you, you know, count how you count them. It had two effects. One of them is it immediately pissed a lot of people off. But as it wore along and you went into subsequent legislative sessions, everybody in the legislature knew that Perry had a gun and would use yeah. it. And so they checked very carefully on their legislation, and, and it put the governor much more in the conversation than he would have been without those vetoes. You know, to some extent, you have to wait and see how much legislators feel like they got to go by Abbott's office and make sure everything's copacetic before they move forward. By the way, Abbott, the politician, has returned, at least in the form of emails I seem to be getting every five seconds from Abbott's political operation. Oh. You know, it's fundraising week. Well, it fundraising is. It's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Well, if you would like to send us your personal emails, we'd love to read them at tribcast at texastribune.org. Except for you, Reeve. Right. We'd also uh, love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. More than 165 confirmed speakers, 50 panel discussions across 10 topics. Uh, registrations now open at texastribune.org forward slash festival. So we're doing that whole thing again. The Tribune Festival? Some of us well, are. Some at of least us are Devin. going to Reeves' wedding. Right. Well. Some people will do anything to not come to the Tribune Festival. <laughs> We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music on behalf of Evan, Ross, uh, Jim. What's Sorry, I almost called you Jay. Jim and our producer, Jacob. This is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Do we have an, none of those things are appropriate to put on the end of this. Yeah, just just <laughs> there, to say you can put that on. <laughs> e- even the end matter begins now. Oh, right.